Hello and welcome everyone back to Maham and Chloe Go Global. I'm still lonely and bored staying in my house all day, but I'm doing fine overall. No sickness here, thankfully. It's also exciting because Ramadan is coming up this Friday, which is a um, holiday slash fasting period um, that Muslims do once a year. Um, Chloe, do you know about Ramadan? No, Mom, tell me a little bit about it. So basically, um, it's, it lasts for a month, 30 days, and your eating window, you fast, um, your eating window is from 8 p.m. to 4 a.m. So 4 a.m., we usually wake up at like 3.30 a.m. to eat breakfast, and um, we stop eating at 4 a.m., and then we don't eat until sundown. So sunrise to sundown is no eating or drinking anything. Um, wow. Is it difficult, like, once it starts? Um, well, usually it, we make it fun because our cousins come over and stuff, family comes over, and it's it feels rewarding just like how like when you work out or something it feels rewarding but when you end your fast there's usually a huge feast so it's really fun and then at the end of 30 days there's the holiday called Eid so that's like a huge celebration so it's something to look forward to oh cool yep so I don't know if you've been doing anything fun because of coronavirus, but I know more than usual and then more than like in the past, I've been staying at home and doing nothing. But I didn't realize the effects that it's having on Latin America, Canada, and kind of unexpected effects in the U.S. Did you hear what happened with oil prices in the U.S.? I do. Yeah, they basically dropped below zero, which is crazy. But it's because we have a horrible, I guess, energy storage system for once the oil is fracked and stuff. But in Latin America, between Guatemala and Honduras, there's only 100 ventilators between both countries. So if something bad happens, it would blow up like crazy. And then in the U.S. recently, we saw that Maryland was able to get 500,000 ventilators because the governor of Maryland, his wife... Um, she's originally from South Korea, so she has a connection with the country and was able to buy all of those up. But it poses like this really weird question for other states, how they're supposed to get the medical supplies they need. So, Maham, what's going on in other parts of the world with coronavirus? So in the Middle East, responses to the coronavirus have varied tremendously, with some countries being really ahead of the game, while others not so much. Um, So the United Arab Emirates, for example, put social distancing measures into effect when the virus was very scarce and in its smallest stage. So they were very responsible about the situation. And Saudi Arabia went even more extreme and actually implemented a curfew from dusk to dawn for its citizens. And Riyadh also adopted other radical steps, such as preventing religious pilgrimage to Mecca and Medina, which are very important holy cities, like the most holy cities in the world for Muslims. Um, And especially at this time with Ramadan starting this Friday, it's really a bummer that no one's allowed to go on pilgrimage or just to the city in general. Um, 
Iran, on the other hand, went to the opposite extreme of being very unbothered and, in fact, like careless until the situation got out of hand. The first reported cases in the whole MENA region, which is the Middle East and North African region, were actually in the Iranian city of Qom, and two Shia pilgrims died from the virus. And even knowing this, Tehran, the capital of Iran, still decided to hold the parliamentary elections on February 21st, 2020. And because of this, every province in city across Tehran was affected and the virus was even spread from Iran to other countries including Afghanistan, Bahrain, Kuwait and Lebanon. Um, but besides the direct impact of the virus, the economy is suffering in the Middle East as well. Um, capital markets are tumbling and obviously tourists are nowhere to be seen because all flights are cancelled and of course the Middle East is known for getting a lot of their revenue from oil and the lack of oil consumption and purchase has caused oil prices to go way down. I mean I was out at the grocery store the other day and oil prices are usually $1.65 where I saw it like max and a lot were even much lower. And Chinese buyers play a huge role in real estate transactions in Dubai. And Chinese buyers are currently postponing making new purchases. The UAE canceled its Expo 2020 um, event. And Saudi Arabia is no longer allowing Hajj, which is an important religious pilgrimage. Um, and hundreds of million dollars were lost for both states because of this. The UAE was expected to attract 25 million visitors to its Expo 2020 event, and Saudi Arabia received 20 million pilgrims each year. So it's really intense. Wow, that's crazy. One last thing that I wanted to bring up, too, is how this is affecting overcrowded prisons in the world. For example, Brazil has 773,000 people, and one-third of whom are in a pre-trial detention. And if you look at tuberculosis rates in the country, they're 35 times higher than in the general population. So one thing that that kind of suggests is that if Brazil, even if they have an excellent public health system, they're not going to be able to handle the coronavirus because their capacity right now is around 7,000, 6,000 test per day but at the peak of the virus it said from the health ministry that they're going to need to be able to process 30 to 50,000 tests per day and logistically wow. they can't do that yeah and same thing we see I think there was did you see the thing recently about how in Virginia like some kids or something have contracted the coronavirus in a detention center I did not see that I'm pretty sure there was some story about that, and that's kind of a similar thing. Oh, I did see that. The inmates, there are so many. Yeah. Well, same thing in Haiti. They have detention rates with an occupancy rate of 450%. So if there's even one small outbreak in a detention center, it's going to spread so quickly. Exactly. That is really crazy. Yeah. Do you want to start our next segment, Maham, with our words of the day? Sure. So we decided that Chloe will be doing the word in Mandarin, and I will be doing a word in Urdu. So today's word is rain, and the way you say rain in Urdu is baris. Cool. 
Can you say that? How do you wait? Say it one more time. Barish. 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 Yes. Cool. And you have to be careful because different emphasis makes different words. For example, Barish is rain, but Barish is something different. Oh, okay. What is that one, Barish? What does that mean? I think it's a bearded man. Huh. Interesting. You could, like, accidentally say there's, I don't know, it's bearded man outside if you meant. Right. Yeah. My grandfather told me that. He was, he was like, you have to be careful with what you put emphasis on. (laughs) Because our vocabulary is not as extensive when you grow up in America. Hmm. So, in Chinese, rain is you, and the character for it's kind of cool. I don't really know how to best describe it, but it basically kind of is divided into two sections with a little line on top. And I'm going to share another quick word for today that I found when I was looking for rain. I thought it was funny. Um, two, and two means soil or dirt, literally. But it also means outdated and un- and unfashionable or unsophisticated. So it's kind of interesting how Chinese culture and Chinese slang mean like do- um, sorry <laughs> soil or dirt. But it can also mean that something's unfashionable. I just thought that connection was really strange, but also really cool. And so same thing like if you said qi tu, it means to eat dust or to be very poor. So it's an interesting connection. And once again, I don't know if the tones are completely right on that, but it's pretty cool how some of the slang words can not just improve your vocabulary, but teach you a lot about Chinese history as well. Yeah, Chinese is a really interesting language, which is why I really enjoy learning it, because it's not just about the language. It's like the characters. It's a character-based language, so the characters have so much meaning to them, and everything is, like, historical. So, yeah, I think it's really interesting since we took, like, AP history together that we both learned a lot about, you know, Chinese culture and Chinese history, and we learned about things that have historical significance, and now learning Mandarin, we get to see kind of some of those things in the characters and stuff. Right. It's also cool to learn from each other, mostly me learning from you, just because you're learning the traditional characters, and I'm learning the um, untraditional characters. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really cool to, like, compare and see the differences. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So for our third and final segment today, I think Maham's going to start, but we're going to talk about some global music. Um, right. So music, I think, is a really great way to connect the world um, because music transcends languages and races and cultures, um, and you can really use it in a lot of different ways. For example, Hope for Haiti now, um, a global benefit for earthquake relief, was a global telethon hosted on January 22nd, 2010, to raise funds after an earthquake in Haiti. Um, And there were 83 million viewers. The concert raised $58 million for Haiti. Um, Musicians like Madonna, Coldplay, and Shakira came... um, and a, an original song was even made called Stranded 
Haiti Mon Amour, um, was performed by Bono, The Edge, Jay-Z, and Rihanna. Um, we can see, like, so many different ways where um, people connect through musics and concerts. Again, another example is when Ariana Grande had her Manchester concert after there was a bombing at her concert. She invited so many different artists to come and perform, and in total, the concert raised $13 million. Cool. Wow, that's really impressive. Yeah. So for mine, I'm going to talk a little bit about one thing that I've become increasingly interested in is how um, music influenced the world and how music and globalization are tied to each other. And music, as we know, evokes many feelings, it brings up old memories, and creates new ones that really appeals to human emotion. And when we're looking at how music can bring people together, I think one important aspect is the recent concert that was on TV. Did you watch it, the WHO concert? I did not watch it. Well, basically, they had performers from tons of different generations, like some of the music that I really like. They had the Rolling Stones performing. Elton John, Paul McCartney, but they also had more recent artists. Um, one Spanish artist, I don't remember his name, Lady Gaga, but it was really, really cool. And it was this completely digital concert to help raise money for coronavirus. So, wow, that sounds really cool. I wish yeah, I think it was went. on NBC. I don't know if you can find it somewhere online, but if you can, you should really check it out. And That's his- great. Yeah. Historically, though, music has been really prominent, too. And the song Big Yellow Taxi by Joni Mitchell, one where it's like, pay paradise, put up a party. Do you know that song? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize that it actually um, had some substance behind it. So apparently the intent was to address environmental concerns. And so she said that she wrote it on her first trip to Hawaii. And she saw these beautiful green mountains in the distance, but then she realized how kind of tourism was tarnishing paradise and I think this is increasing now too since we see you know some of these human effects on the environment globally especially in areas which could use our help we kind of tend to damage them for our own concerns right so that's today's episode do you want to close Maha sure thank you so much everyone for watching we really appreciate. Um, thank you to our history ch- teacher, Mr. Robillard, for supporting us. Thanks, Mr. Um, Robillard. And we will see you next time. Thank you.